want. This is the this is a dangerous thing. Sometimes we get what we want. Well, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining me today are Eric. Hey. And Tracy. Good morning. And Karen. Hello. Everybody is here today. Well, I have had a huge development in my life that I'd like to share here because everybody's so interested in what's going on in my life, I know. Fascinating. <laughs> 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 but it, it's a big development for me, and I'm not joking this time because my dad has decided it's time to retire, and he has handed over the reins of the company to me in an extraordinarily generous gesture. The, you know, even before I have my master's license, he still be around, but uh, the company is in my it's in my care for better or for worse, and. Uh, I'm a little excited. I'm a little nervous, uh, you know, just uh, seeing where things are going to go for the future. It's um, an opportunity where I've sort of been thrust into things. Not that it was a surprise, but uh, that generally tends to be where I rise up to the occasion is when things are kind of thrust on me. I rarely choose to jump out and, and, and take the, you know, take the reins or something like that. But um but yeah, so that's uh, that's a big one for me. I am now a business owner. Nothing like it, man. Let me tell you. <laughs> Have I fun will... with that bookkeeping. Uh huh. Well, that's a big part of it. He's gonna. He'll. My dad will stick around, help me with that side of stuff. I mean, I've. Yeah, that. Yeah, just just uh, trying to navigate, learning how to navigate all that stuff is going to be very interesting. I can, I can hang a light and I can install a receptacle real easily. Uh, running a business that's a whole different thing we're going to see how that goes yeah well i know your boss and too i'm sorry matt <laughs> <laughs> what a jerk that guy is <laughs> yeah that is that's one of the big things is trying to think of myself now as the boss because i mean i've had i've had an, not an employee i've had an apprentice under me and so i've been in charge of him uh, even when he refers to me as the boss it, it's um it's been a little odd, as, you know, because I've been in charge of one guy, but now, well, he's the only apprentice we have, so it's going to be him and me still. But yeah, it's just a, it's a whole different way of thinking of things, and it's going to be whole, kind of a whole different way of life. And I mean, you know, you know, Eric, being a business owner, entrepreneur type, and yep, and uh, how it's you know different from collecting a paycheck and filling out a time card. I mean, I, last Friday, I, yeah. yeah I filled out my last time card, and I was like, wow, hopefully I never have to do that again. Uh, so, yeah, that's the bad news. You just never clock out. Well, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I say. It's a different – it's going to be a different different way of life. And uh, I think I'm going to enjoy it once I get used to it. And in the meantime, I'm just kind of going, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> so any, uh, any big developments from anybody else? Not that it's all about me. I've got a couple of surgeries coming up. That's going to be kind of a big deal. Yeah. Probably less fun than being thrust into a self-employment opportunity. Good heavens. <laughs> I should say nope. so. We're praying for you. It's, uh, I mean, I understand it's an unknown, 
and as those are scary things and i think that there's that's that's a lot of life is um going into unknowns and facing things we were we don't want to face and wouldn't choose you know i mean who would choose to have to you know be looking at surgery i know i wouldn't i've been not with your surgery but i've been there with a shoulder and it's less than what i would choose (laughs) definitely so we'll be there and uh praying for you karen oh yeah yeah Uh, yeah so assuming i pass the COVID exam um my first one will be monday and then my next one will be I don't know. They're giving me various dates. They're trying to trying to get a good date from a facility is what the problem is. So, right. well, have you studied for the exam? I I um I have studied the fact that my my ear is incredibly painful. The entire side of my head is swollen up. I am covered with hives as well as mm. being groggy from taking Benadryl on top of my antibiotics. So yes, so double dose of antibiotics. Benadryl, full dose of Benadryl and Claritin. And my face is still, my face, hands and knees are still swollen up. My face is bright red and I'm still covered with hives. I am not in a good mood right now. (laughs) Okay. Allergies, man. (laughs) On that note. If I see you, I promise I won't point and laugh. How's that? (laughs) I bet you would. Karen admitted so you'd be disappointed if he didn't. <laughs> it's this thing we have. Constant ridicule. A constant ridicule. <laughs> and derision. Don't forget the derision. <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> all right, let's get into our discussion today. We are big we are in the book of First Samuel. And we're going to start talking in the in the, the seventh chapter, chapter seven. Now, you might recall last week, the Ark of the Covenant had been captured by the Philistines in a, in a, a horrible, after a horrible uh, uh, lack of judgment on the part of Israel to take <laughs> to take the Ark out as sort of a good luck charm, thinking that it was going to somehow win the battle for them. And uh, for 20 years, the Philistines had had the thing. And after we, after our recording, well, they last had week, it for we, seven months. Hmm. The Philistines had it for seven months. Yeah, a long time. And and uh, and in that whole time, the Israelites never once went to go try to get the thing. Uh, this this central this the central artifact to the to the Israel Israel culture. Uh, it, it had be, it had been just kind of reduced to this, it, just a thing, and it's like when it was gone, everybody's like, oh, oh well, I guess uh, that was that, you know. But the ark does make its way back in a very interesting test by the Philistines, and it makes its way back to Israel, where it eventually ends up in Kiriath Jearim in a house of a guy named Abinadab, and his son Eliezer is consecrated to keep it. Now, why did they take it here? I don't know, because the temple had always been, not the temple, it still wasn't called the temple at this point, but the uh, sanctuary, the tabernacle, was had been in Shiloh. And I, I didn't look it up to see how close they are, but this is not where it was supposed to be going. And it was staying in this guy's house, I guess. And it stayed there for 20 years. I mean, that, that, that's just baffling to me that this thing 
was gone, not gone, but just it's kind of like, you know, when somebody somebody's moving or something and they need to they need a place to store some stuff for a while. And and, and you know, you, you stick something in, in a friend's garage and then you just never go back and get it. It's sort of the way it is to me. See, it seems to be just just uh, yeah, just we're just going to leave that there. You know, I think it's too one of those things that they held at, at such high regard and in reverence, you know, but they didn't portray it all the time. But they knew its power and they knew that they weren't to me, it's they knew they weren't living up to what they were supposed to. So that's a reason I I wonder if they didn't just kind of stash it off to the side because they knew they were still not doing what they needed to do. Maybe. I mean I'd like to think I'd like to hope that that was the attitude they had here. It's hard to say. Karen, I heard your voice chiming in there. Well, I was kind of saying the same thing. I was just, I was kind of getting at, well, if, I mean, this thing is supposed to be so important, like this is the mercy seat and it's got the law in it. And you know what, like why, I don't know. I just, I find it baffling that they would just leave it off to the side and not want to bring it back to the center. Mm-hmm. Well, so maybe, here. maybe they weren't worship centric right then. I mean, no. Yeah, maybe that was a, a twenty years of, and every man did according, you know, as he thought best. Mm-hmm. Well, they're but, making progress. I mean, we, as we move forward, um, there's there's hints that they were making progress in worship um, from when Eli. When we remember when we talked about Eli, that the people abhorred the worship of the Lord because of Eli's sons were so just not not behaving in any way like judges in Israel should have been. And so people were like, yeah, forget it. We're not going. At this point later, we get some ideas, skipping ahead, that people were, in fact, doing some worship um, at this time. But they still didn't get it together. As we get into Chapter 7, we see that they still don't really have things figured out. They're not back on track, so to speak. And they they just... Remember that they... Some of them looked into the ark, and there were a bunch killed. We couldn't figure out exactly how many because the text is just not really clear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were afraid of it, too. And because, think about it, they had looked at it like a good luck charm, and this good luck charm had turned out to be more powerful than they were. And I, I, I remember there's a little scene, there's a line from the uh, from the Chronicles of Narnia. I believe it's from the line which in the wardrobe, and the children are just in inside of Narnia, and they're learning about the lion. And one of the kids, I want to say it's Lucy, asks, well, of the lion, is he safe? And mm-hmm. one of the animals in Narnia says, oh, no, he's not safe. He's a lion, but he mm-hmm. is good. And yeah. I think that we, the reason that Lewis wrote that is because we are constantly getting that mixed up. We think that safe means tame. And safe means that we get to control things and we get to we get to kind of call the shots and we're in charge of this stuff. And God has never been that kind of God. And I think here when they're trying to use this as a good luck charm, essentially when they can turn it on when they want it, turn it off when it's inconvenient, God's saying that's not how I roll. Well, does it did say finally, you know, it got me thinking, though, before I get to that, for 20 years here, what was their what was their tabernacle service about you know was was that even going were they doing the sacrificial services were they were they having anything happening there 
you know, no. without the without the arc, it seems like there'd be very little point to do it there. You know, they, they didn't, and it shows up later. Uh, we'll get to Saul, and there's a little detail in that story where Saul meets Samuel, and what's Samuel going to do at the moment? He's going up to worship, and everybody in town is going up to a sacrifice. And so they were doing sacrifices, and Samuel was kind of an itinerant preacher. And so they're do they're worshiping, but they're not worshiping in the tabernacle. To your point, you know, okay. I was doing some supplemental reading too, and it and it kind of set the backdrop for what was going on there. And it basically says that they they gradually lost their reverence for God, and they ceased to honor their prized possessions, or even acknowledging that they were the chosen people at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm wondering, too, if that had a, a lot to do with, like, Eli and and his sons, especially the sons, and just what was, how they were being abused there when they were doing their sacrifices and their worships and their ceremonies there, that that kind of added to the whole loss of reverence there. Yeah, I, I agree. As we get into seven here, apparently there's some sort of desire of the people to turn towards the Lord, because Sam, because by Samuel's answer, we can get an idea of what the question was. Samuel says in, in chapter seven, verse three, and Samuel said to the house of Israel, if you were returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and Ashtaroth from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. So they kind of had this idea, we want to turn to the Lord, but apparently they were still worshiping other gods at the same time because he had to tell them to knock it off. This is a, this is a common theme in the Old Testament. It's the if-then. Look, if you want this, then you have to, and we, we understand on an intellectual level anyways, that that's a principle in life. You know, just if you want to Okay, lose weight. You have to put in fewer calories and and or burn off more. If you want to save money, you have to save more than you spend. I mean, there's just life is full of if thens. You know, if you want more time, you then you have to turn off the TV or whatever it is. And so Samuel is is giving them. You would think. I mean, come on. You would think this would be pretty obvious, having read what we did in in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus. If you want to worship me, God is saying, then you have to put away these idols. And they're kind of like, oh. We do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It it reminds me of um, something Jesus said in the New Testament. If you love me, keep my commandments. It's all we have to do that. Like they're connected. We just want, we just want the, we just want the, you know, fill in the blank. We just want to lose the weight. We just want to make the money. We just want to have more time. I don't want to have to actually do it. It's like a a quote that I heard. Um, I used to think I wanted a job and then I discovered all I really wanted was a paycheck. (laughs) (laughs) And and that's, that's where, you know, there's Israel. It's like, well, we want the blessings of God. And, and Sam is like, well, then you have to worship him. And they're like, well, they're connected. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it does say that Israel lamented after the Lord's like you say, they were 
they still had some at least at least a cultural connection to the idea that that Israel had a god right and so Samuel he he calls it says he called all Israel to Mitzpah now I don't, I can't imagine it means the entire population came to Mitzpah but maybe some elders maybe some you know dignitaries important people from the tribes all came to one place I, you know sounds like at least there was a there was a pretty significant amount of people that came yeah but it was it seemed to me that it was very much indicating okay we need to make some changes here these are going to be serious changes we yeah. need to do something special about this and so Samuel calls them together to have this special prayer for them and it sounds i guess the Philistines catch wind of this that apparently everybody's gathered in one place and they're going to try to take advantage of this while Israel is all gathered together and while they're there Samuel he makes a burnt offering of a lamb and said that God answered him Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel and the Lord answered him so I guess we don't know exactly how but as the Philistines are gathering wanting to take advantage of this in some big I guess coup isn't the right word but in, in a in a they're getting ready to attack and it says that God just overcame them with thunder just thunder makes you wonder is how loud was this thunder that that it just so discombobulated the Philistines that it made it very simple I guess for Israel to just drive them back sounds well, like it drove them quite away. Yeah, remember please. what we read last week mm -hmm. La last week it was it was 350 years after it occurred that the Philistines when they heard that they were bringing the Ark of the Covenant they were terrified they heard they were bringing the ark into our, into battle. They were terrified. Oh, this is the same God that did this and this and this and brought them out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea. Remember all that? Like yeah. these memories, these are well-educated, long memories. So if you show up to battle on a sunny day on the plains of whatever you think that country should be named and like supernatural thunder starts up and you, you already know that about your enemy's God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And let's not forget what the thing that makes thunder is lightning. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, that could have been a pretty significant factor here. I, I think it's very interesting. It goes with what we've said before is that God, as he works through his people, very seldom, if ever, is it the same way twice. You know, mm -hmm. here he just straight up thunders after them. <clears throat> they pray. The people here, it's interesting, they say, do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. This is what, I mean, most of the time in the past, Israel has been told to take up your weapons, you know, organize your people in this way. This is the way you go into battle, march around it seven times. Nope, now this time you send 3,000 people. This isn't one of those times. This time, God just straight up on his own, without telling the people to do anything, acts on their behalf. Now, it's interesting that in verse 11, all the men went from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them. So they weren't to sit on their hands and go, yay, God did this. Okay, well, we'll just, God, you just tell us how you wrap it all up. We'll just sit here and wait. Is that they were to be active instantly. As soon as God moved, they were to move. And they come in and they, they take action as well. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a really interesting part. Samuel took a stone. This is in uh, verse 12. 
took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. So he names the stone Ebenezer, which means stone of help. Mm-hmm. Where he said, tell now the Lord has helped us. So he's, he's putting up a memorial and we call it Ebenezer. And I remember Karen, she, Karen, for those of you who don't know, Karen is our, the musical one among us all. And there is a hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Mm-hmm. And in verse, I will not sing it in case you're waiting for that. Oh. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy grace I've come. Yep. Yes. So that hymn and that verse makes sense only if you know this story. And if you know this story, those lyrics, hither by thy grace I've come, make total sense. Because the Ebenezer is a memorial. It's a, it's a, hey, God has helped me to this point. And I think as we're reading through what the, what the Israelites, ancient Israelites, did and didn't do, they've done, they did a lot of things that were dumb and did a lot of things that were bad and they fell out, didn't follow God. And I think we are very, 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 very much like them, more like them than not. But here's one thing that they did that we don't do, a good thing that they did that we don't do, and I wish we would, and that is the Ebenezer, the idea of, wow, God led me through this thing. Mm -hmm. And I know in our life, I haven't, I don't, I guess I don't know how. Culturally, I guess I'm blaming it on someone else. That's what I'm doing right now, is how do we, how should we, how can we raise memorials to how God has led us through difficult times, because we're going to hit more difficult times, but it helps so much to look back and say, ah, but God led us through this. Karen just alluded to how the Philistines knew the history of Israel, and they seemed to have more faith in Israel's God than Israel did, that God would show up. But here Samuel feels that it's important to raise a memorial. What do you all think about that, that, that concept? You know, I think... You know, I was thinking about it today, and I think we've all kind of been on the same boat where we have, because we talked about it in the past as, as being that memorial stone where it's a pivotal place in your history that things change for you. Um, you know, and I, I look at mine in particular, and it's, you know, huge life events like my wife getting sick. You know, and I think we all have that same kind of story, but it changes you as a person, it changes your spouse, it changes your family dynamic when something like that happens. And to me, that's almost just the thought of it is that's where you're placing your memorial stone. Now, we don't like erect something like the Ebenezer, but I think it's a pivotal place in your life that always sticks with you. Yeah, my, I know we have those moments, but I'm thinking like in practical ways. Yeah. Like they, they would set up, remember when they across the uh, the uh, Jordan that one set of tribes set up a stone and they put mm-hmm. they put the law of God on it and the other side of Israel said hey what are you guys doing they said hey 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 wait, wait wait we're not trying to do false worship here we just are putting this up so that when our children look at this they'll say hey what's this mm-hmm. it's a conversation starter to say yeah. let's remember this and I I think that we have We've gotten away from that. I mean, I the closest I can think of is um, 
as far as a conversation starter, it's a totally different topic. We won't go into that, but I used to wear a T-shirt occasionally that said, Porn Kills Love, with a skull with a dagger through it, and it would start conversations. People would say, so what's what's that about? What's, you know, or, yeah, I've been, in, you know, impacted by somebody in my life with a pornography problem. Um, it was a conversation starter, is my point. And we don't do that so much in our world our society and i i think i think we're poorer for it i don't know how to do it but if you guys have ideas i'd like to hear it you know i think we're we're at such an odd point in our history right now where people try to raise these these memorials over the most trivial things maybe and so when the big things come they kind of get passed over you know, with with the social media aspect of things, I mean, people will they share what they had for dinner. You know, and, and everybody wants everybody wants everybody else to see how important all these these minor things are in their lives. Uh, that when the big things come, people don't necessarily pay too much attention. You Interesting. Know? Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I mean, there are there are the times when when I guess the closest friends will really get interested in in somebody's big events of their life but i don't know i think i i think that it's just a it's a factor of our society right now where everybody is wanting you to pay attention all the time to all the minor things that the big things kind of maybe get washed over a bit now there are i think there's still people there are some i think for some people the idea of the ebenezer still uh uh is an effect like you'll see people getting tattoos to memorialize big events in their lives uh mm. that's not something i would do myself i i just never had <laughs> I, i've never had anything i wanted to put permanently on my body like that um but um but yeah i, I think you're right for the most part we just don't necessarily do that go ahead karen well, I was just thinking about like, like we're in America and I was thinking about the setup of our nation too. Like we're not like we're based, our nation is based on diversity. Our nation is based on the entire concept that you, you can come here from anywhere and still do your thing. Like that's the whole premise of the nation, melting pot, whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and so and, and so then what do you memorialize? Like to set up a tangible memorial, which is what we're talking about. Like we all have intangible memorials. They're in our heads. They're in our hearts. Yeah. They're in our memories. But but what Eric's talking about is a tangible memorial. Like if you mm-hmm. go over to the Holy Land, you go around and you still to this day see standing stones. Right. There's the Ebenezer's, right? That's, that's what that was. So their purpose, cohesion as a nation meant that they could raise Ebenezer's and the next person wouldn't come along and go, well, I disagree with your Ebenezer. I didn't think that that was important at all. I'm going to take that down. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there was this cohesiveness of purpose and point of view that allowed them to do that. Nowadays, I don't even know how to integrate something like that. I just, you know, like I, 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 I think back on the big, while you guys were talking, I was thinking back on like the big pivotal moments, those moments of crossroads or major change of lane things that happened in my life. Do I have anything tangible to make somebody go, oh, what happened here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you know, and, and I, and I wish that they, I wish that they did because, you know, that's, you know, that is the best witness to God's involvement and purpose and the, the outplay of the Holy Spirit's work in your life is these changes that have occurred to me, right? So aside from having a personal conversation with somebody and getting into my story and your story and the details of that, like, who's ever going to say, oh, what happened here? How did that change you? Mm. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah, because there's a pretty, there's a quote that says, we have nothing to fear for the future except that we forget how God has led us in the past. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's for me one of the reasons why I really appreciate this this Bible study that we're doing as a group is that it reminds me of how God saw people through all kinds of things and and it's not like a hero movie where we where we see basically more or less everything going well and turning out well at the end sometimes this, these, these things don't turn out well in the end well, spoiler mm-hmm. alert, uh, as we talk about King Saul, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. um, in chapter 8, there's, there's, it's one of the shorter ver- chapters in this reading, and it's not very story-oriented, but my goodness, it is packed with really important stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so as... As Israel turns to God and they drive the Philistines away and some peace starts to be restored, uh, Samuel sets up some son, his sons as judges. Their names are Joel and Abijah. And we get a bit of a, re- of, a, of, a of a recall of what happened. Oh, shoot. Which priest was that here? Not that long yeah. ago. We were talking about where his Eli. sons, Eli. Eli. Yeah. And his sons were not behaving properly and uh it it just drives the israelites to say you know what we're kind of done with this whole judge thing we want a king and go ahead but i hate to i hate to jump back just a little bit but i was looking back at it and i was thinking about okay samuel was there for eli's trouble with parenting and his sons in the temple and he, his sons kind of fell into the, I won't even say the similar thing, but he had difficulties with that too. But if you go back into the end of seven, it says that he was on like a circuit. So I'm thinking like he's on tour. He's always away from home that, you know what, maybe that's where the parenting kind of fell off and not being able to, to watch over his children and, and that kind of thing early on, because it sounded like he was on tour the whole year. Yeah, I could see, I could definitely see that. You know, you hear a lot of times, I've known a few preachers' kids over my life, in my lifetime, and a lot of times it seems like they tend to be a bit rebellious. (laughs) I know a certain redheaded one. (laughs) Um, But but they could tend to get a little rebellious, a little... um, not not the not the greatest examples of Christianity, I guess you could say. And some of them flat turn away from God a lot of times, it seems. And I wonder, I wonder if that isn't because the preachers, you know, the pastors, the clergy, the the evangelists, or whatever, if their their attentions aren't just turned in a different direction rather than family life, 
maybe more than the average. And I guess it's probably not every single preacher's kids <laughs> turn that way because you certainly hear of some that are fantastic. Uh, one of our former past pastors had amazing kids, and they've all they all seem to be successful and and continue to follow God, and and uh, the whole family just seems to do well. It's well, just, I a, imagine there's a, it's a hard, I can imagine how it's hard to find balance if, if you get, if you get some, well, any, any profession, you know, if they, if, if the father's attentions are placed more towards the profession than towards family life, you're probably going to see, uh, you're going to see some of that coming from the kids where they don't have a great direction. Karen. Well, okay. And that there isn't, there is an aspect of that. Um, I know that for me personally, the hardest, the hardest thing about being a preacher's kid, and I, and this is a combined point of view from watching my brother deal with his version of it, and then me dealing with my version of it, because we were very different personalities, and so we reacted opposite almost sometimes to the exact same thing. I know that. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I'm eating leftover popcorn for breakfast, and I inhaled some. So if I sound like I'm dying, <laughs> it's just that. It'll pass. I'm not even <laughs> going to make it to my surgery on Monday because popcorn will have taken me down. <laughs> um, so as a, as a boy, my brother would get picked on by the other boys for not being a partier. Right? So that's one aspect of it. Like he wasn't out there sneaking this and doing that and doing all those sort of cliche preacher's kids things. And he he was kind of quiet and introverted and kept to himself. And he was picked on for that. All right. That's one aspect of it. And that and that bit him in a certain way. For me, there was this effect like that I called the fishbowl that I was living, living my life. I'd like to just live it myself on my own choices for my own reasons. And instead I'm living in a clear glass bowl with my father and my father's job and all of the people that he is currently serving, looking at me going, well, is she really living up to everything? And there was this lack of privacy, lack of concern for what I might want as an individual. Like there, I can, I could, (laughs) we don't have enough time in the podcast for me to start telling stories about times where I felt like my personal point of view absolutely did not matter. My father's job took precedence and I had to act this way no matter what I thought so that he could do his job. And it was just kind of like, what? No, I, nope, I'm still a person and I still have thoughts and I still, you know what I mean? So it was kind of, it felt like a continual disregard for anything that I might want. Because I, as an entire human, was continually, uh, I was either helping his ministry or I was a stumbling block to his ministry. And I was just, I was just a kid, you know. So there was that kind of fishbowl effect. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I was particularly rebellious or particularly compliant. I don't know that I was either one. That's how it felt. And it was very, very frustrating. Anyway, so uh, all that to be said, yes, Spiritual leaders can get so sidetracked being spiritual leaders that they neglect the practical everyday parenting that children require. And that and my my only point is that can take many forms. And it also changes the social setting that the children are in. Yeah. Anyway, end of speech. No, that's good. That's great. That's great insight there, 
So yeah, Tracy, your your point there that maybe maybe just he was gone and wasn't there to have that hand on his kids and and teach them properly. And I mean, there's no mention of a mom here. Sure, she was there, obviously. Well, I mean, in a patriarchal society, though, by yeah. the time the boys are are very old at all, the father's going to be the primary leader. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what we've got here, though, is we've got a situation where they see that Samuel's sons are not like Samuel. And so the right. idea we don't have any effect on other people, it's like, I'm just going to live my life for me. Well, uh, whether we like it or don't like it, our lives do influence others and do influence other things. And so Israel uses this basically as an excuse, as if Samuel's sons were the the only two men in the nation that could have, you know, f- fulfilled this role, they say, no, we need a king. And here's what's really interesting, because they show their cards in verse 5, chapter uh, 8, verse 5. You know, the, the elders gather together and they say to him, behold, you're old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. They don't put forward like, oh, I wish you'd appoint different judges because your sons aren't doing the right thing. Because they could have. And mm-hmm. we have no indication that Samuel wouldn't have. But that's not what they're asking for. They're not asking for Samuel to pick somebody good. They want a king to judge us so that they can be like all the nations. And right there, Samuel knows what's going on. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and what they say to you. Basically, give them what they want. And this is the this is the crux of where the whole thing turns. For they have not rejected you. God's not saying, Samuel, sorry, dude, this is actually not about you. It's not about your sons. They have rejected me from being king over them. Yeah, and I found it interesting, too, is basically they've rejected me, and they've been rejecting me ever since I pulled them out of Egypt. Yep. Yes. And and they always go back to that. Once again, that's their, their pivotal point for everything, that it goes back to that. The big, big decisions, big failures, you know, big victories all go back to this, to the exodus. And it it's just, it's fitting right there. It shows you that they've... Israel has taken away its focus on God. It's looking towards being like the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's to your point, exactly to your point, Tracy, to being like the rest of the world. In my other reading, um, as we go through the week, I also am reading through some stuff in the New Testament and some in the uh, poetry books. But I read this this week. It's 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and pride and possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. So basically, what we've got Israel saying straight up is, we want to be like the world. We want to be like everyone else. And in some other reading that I did, it, there was a phrase that really struck me, is that Israel it really, really wants to be like everyone else. And it says it again in, in verse 20. 
that we may be like all the nations. There was an honor in being unlike all the other nations. They, mm-hmm. they were supposed to not be like everyone else. They yeah. were supposed to be blessed and thrive and do so much better that other people, and this goes back to Deuteronomy, I think it's 4.6 or 6.4, where it says, um, you know, you're supposed to do so well that other nations will come up. And, yeah, it is. It's 4.6. It says, that will be your wisdom. This is the, the uh, God's rules and, and, uh, and statutes. Keep them and do them, for this will be your wisdom and understanding in the sight of the peoples, not salvation. Keep this is keeping God's rules, right? This is not a salvation thing. This is an example thing. That will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it that the Lord God is to us whenever we call on him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? They were supposed to be, they were supposed to be unlike all the other nations. And here they are asking to be just like all the other nations. Right. Yeah, I noticed that really stood out to me too. It reminded me of Exodus. Here we go. I, I put a sticky note in it and then my sticky note disappeared. Um, Exodus 19.5. Now, if you obey me fully... If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. Like that was that was the idea, mm-hmm. you know. And again, in Deuteronomy, you know, he's fixed you to be a peculiar people of all the people who are on the face of the earth. They were supposed to stand out and sort of lead by that other example. And and the reason that stood out to me is, is because I was I was contrasting this. So it started with thinking about the standing stones and the cohesiveness of the Israelite nation. But then it, when I was reading through this, I was thinking about this, this desire for a king so that we can be like other nations. And it's like, but then I, like you're, you're turning away from having a central religious leader. Well, okay, let's, com- let's compare and contrast that to, again, where we're, where we're at in Earth's history now. We live in this giant nation that's made up of an amalgamation of all bits and pieces of people that came from all over. Do you know what the outrage would be if if somebody came along and tried to turn our nation into having a central, cohesive, religious-based nation? Like, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the public outcry would be, well, where are my rights as an individual? And so I, I think it's really interesting how God works in different times. Here comes the Israelite nation. They're supposed to be, they're supposed to be like this peculiar people that stands out, and and not mix with other people. We hear, we heard this over and over. Like if somebody comes and lives with you, they have to integrate into you. They don't get to come to you and still keep all of their own religious traditions. Mm-mm. They come to you. They 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 become you, right? That was that was a big thing. Like you don't intermarry over there. You don't follow these tr- traditions. You don't dilute yourselves at all. You remain pure. You know what they call a nation that acts like that today? R- racist. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but nowadays we have a completely different societal structure. We are already melted together, and we have this very firm division of church and state. 
And well, and yet, if you come into the New Testament, <clears throat> a call to be a peculiar people. There's still that call, but now we do it in smaller sections in different ways under a civil government instead of a religious government. I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was fascinating. I spent a long time thinking about that this week. Yeah, but to your point there, Karen, and I think this needs to be said, is that Revelation points towards a time when most, not all, of the world will in fact unite in worship. And it will seem like a good thing. And it will look like and sound like and feel like a revival. And it is the devil. Um, and people will think, well, how? This is a good thing. Finally, we're turning back and we're all worshiping at the same place at the same time in the same way. And Revelation warns us that there are some people who stand up against that because they understand that this is, in fact, the devil. And it's important to realize that it is prophesied that everybody, mostly, does, in fact, get on the same page for worship. And it turns out to be a very bad thing. You could read Revelation for yourself and trace that out. There's there's a true worship and false worship. And uh, there's, you know, the, the allegory of the two women and, and all kinds of things like that that are going on in the book of Revelation. But Israel was, in fact, called to one thing. And they were, in, call, in fact, called to, to a theocracy. It's very interesting. Did you notice that when Samuel gives his warning about kings in, uh, and what they're going to do to the people um, if they choose a king and the Lord grants his request and Saul chosen to be king, all these things, that nowhere in here is it intimated at all that a king gets to make laws. Think about that for a second. How different is that? Then all the other kings of all the other places of all the other Israel's kings were to be doing God's laws. They were to be following and and enforcing God's laws. There was no there was no setup of legislature here. It's like, all right, well, when you get a king, what you need to do is you need to break the nation into different sections and, and have a, you know, have an electoral college and everybody gets together and you vote and then, you, you know, you elect senators and congressional representatives. There's none of that. They were, they were allowed to have king, not because it was God's first choice. In fact, in Hosea 13, 11, it says, God says, I gave you a king in my anger. Not, not, because, you, not because it was a great thing, because you demanded it. And like, fine, you get what you want, and it's not going to go well. The difference between foreknowledge and causation here, I think, is a different thing. God didn't want them to do this because he flat out says, you rejected me from being the king over you. And you want your own earthly king. But even then, and this goes forward in Israel's history, the kings are not supposed to be making up new laws. They are supposed to be following God's laws. I almost missed that. And I was like, oh my word, how did I miss that? Because it's true. We, they're not supposed to be. And, and when they do something wrong, Ahab, for example, you know, he takes away uh, Naboth's vineyard. Well, we all know that's wrong because... Even Ahab, as the king, doesn't get to make his own rules. We struggle with that today with people, you know, in, in leadership. Pick a nation. I'm not going to pick on anyone in particular. Is they get into power and then they start doing what? Making their own rules. 
and the they and because that's par for the course, right? That's what we do. But specifically, even though they were called, and God said, "Fine, you can have a king." Nowhere in here does it say, "And now you get to start making up your own stuff." Yeah, and Samuel gives an gives a warning that we talk about here to the people, and basically the warning is along the lines of. The king will take your sons for war and labor. Your daughters are going to work for him. He's going to take your crops. Your servants and your animals are going to be for him. Uh, even you will be his servants. And that should be a warning to us today, too, I think, if we get too too wrapped up in the idea that government is going to fix all of our problems. You know, I, it's just uh, it doesn't matter who's who's in charge. If you're putting too much faith on your government, uh, to to run your life and to fix everything for you, just just know it doesn't matter who's running the country. You're gonna be you're gonna be working for them, you know, working for the man. I mean, to me, this just sounded like typical government structure. Like they take a little bit from everybody. The government takes a little bit from everybody in the form of taxation or fees or whatever, and then in return you get these services, right? So mm-hmm. that's just kind of how I I took that. It's like. And none of this is going to negate, like he talks about, he's going to take 10% of your flocks and whatever. And that, and none of this negates the fact that there's still ties to God. It just adds another layer of authority that requires financial support. Yeah, you know? but it's interesting that in here, it doesn't, that all the things that Samuel says that they're going to have to do, none of this is like stuff that they didn't have before. It's not like, you know, you, you guys just used to, have no judges, and now you'll have a judge. No, they had a judge. Right. Well, you used to not be able to do agriculture. No, no, they could do. You, okay, now you're going to have an army, whereas in the past you didn't have an army. No, actually, that's not true either. See, they're not actually gaining anything. They're not gaining anything of practical value at all. And Samuel's trying to tell them that. It's like, look, it's going to cost you. This is going to go badly. And it gets the worst it gets is I want to say it was one of um, uh, Solomon's sons who starts up and the taxation was just so heavy. Like all the glory of Solomon when I came through taxes and his sons, one of his sons ended up just pushing it too far. And people are like, yeah, we're out. So anyways, we've, we've got the story then. Samuel's warned them about having a king and why this is a problem. Then Saul is chosen to be king. We've just read the history of Benjamin. They were not the most honored tribe. And uh, later that causes a little bit of trouble when a Benjamite is selected. There are some people who are like, Benjamin, no way. We're not doing that. <clears throat> but anyways, it's, it's an interesting narrative um, that shows up through the story. But that's more or less a, a narrative. Yeah, so through the whole thing, Saul is chosen to be the king. He's chosen from the tribe of Benjamin, which, like you say, that's it's it's an interesting place to come from, be, being that the the tribe was not respected. And you know, we go back to what was it, episode fifty, and you can you can hear all about about that and the the bad behavior of the tribe and how the tribe basically got wiped out. Mm-hmm. But um, well, twenty one, Saul says it himself. Am I not a Benjamite? Mm-hmm. Yeah, even the smallest he. tribe of Israel and is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin why are you saying this to me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's a 
it's just an interesting choice. It's an interesting choice, but well, I guess choice is 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 the is the word of the of the hour here too, because he's he's described it, as being choice though? and handsome and tall. Is it exactly to your point? I think I don't know if it's such an interesting choice, especially too when they were looking at the the rest of the world, and if you look at a lot of the the monarchs and stuff like that of the time or, you know, that have gone in history, they were people that stood out. Mm -hmm. They were huge stature, great physical prowess, that kind of thing. Hooray Um, for tall, handsome men. And that's exactly what they went after. Yeah. And that seems to be more what they're interested in here too, because, um, the whole outward appearance and not yeah. so much what's on the inside. Yeah, they see this guy who looks amazing, you know, uh, and it's like it's almost like the history of that tribe has been kind of pushed aside by the Israelites in their acceptance of Saul as king. Mm-hmm. And they just see a guy that's like, oh, yeah, that guy looks like he'd make a good king. I, I find it interesting that when you look back, you know, in United States history, and before television, you see that some of the guys who were president were not the greatest looking guys. But right. as, it seems like as as things progress and as television became more prominent and people were able to see more what a person looked like, you start yeah. you start to see, I think, that there is more of a of a physical. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? People. They're more uh, appealing to the eye than some of them in the past. You well, know? Okay, but you're, you're talking. You're talking as if as if the people had a popularity contest and chose Saul. God named Saul. Oh, right. I know, but they but they they very quickly accepted him though. Is that's what, what they at. wanted. Yeah, mm-hmm. they yeah. wanted this, and so God says, "Oh, you want this? Here, you can have what you want." Mm-hmm. And sometimes I believe, and this is this this is direct. Um, I just share with you this is this this relates directly to my prayer life is that I pray God I think I want this but you know what I actually don't know I'm going to put this in your hands and I want to to let this be the glory of your kingdom and you guide because God you know, this is a, this is a dangerous thing sometimes we get what we want let that sink in is mm-hmm. sometimes we really now we don't usually want the results of that thing let that sink in but we want the thing and sometimes we get the thing oh i want to gorge on this just to use a simple example and we can gorge on it as much as we want to uh, short detour here i took some youth out for a thing and i uh We'd finished a service project and let's think, hey, we'll swing by the grocery store. We'll buy some groceries of things that you guys want to snack on. And I bought some crunchy Cheetos because I thought, hey, everybody loves crunchy Cheetos, right? So I got a big bag of crunchy Cheetos, got together with the kids and said, hey, you guys, everybody get a get, you know, you can have as much of any of these things as you want to. Nobody touched the crunchy Cheetos. I was like, come on, you guys, these are the best. I'm like, no, you can have them. I'm like, a whole bag? Of crunch, not the not the lunch size bag. I'm not Heck talking yeah. about the two ounce one. This was a full size bag, and you know what? I ate as many crunchy Cheetos as I wanted to in that moment. And man, oh, I wanted those Cheetos. 
What I didn't want was the result of eating all the Cheerio Cheetos that I ate. Mm. It was not a pleasant thing. <laughs> I was, I, I just, uh, I still don't eat Cheetos anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you can see, sometimes they get what they wanted, and they wanted this, and they got what they wanted. And here's the crazy thing: is they knew, they knew this. Yeah, look, look at this. Is in verse in, in chapter nine, verse six. The people are talking to Saul, and he's going around. And these are the same people who have listened to Saul in, to Samuel. I'm sorry, in chapter eight, say this king is going to be bad for you. It's going to be all these things that you're not going to like. These people, what do they say about the prophet? But they said to him, "Behold, there's a man of God in this city uh, who is held in high honor. All that he says comes true." Mm. Mm-hmm. Think about that. He's just Samuel just got done saying, "You're going to regret this. You're going to regret this so much." And in verse eighteen, it says, "You're going to call out to the Lord and say, you know, no, we don't want this.' But the Lord will not answer you in that day." Fast forward just a couple days, and they're like, "Oh yeah, everything he says comes true." But we still want a king. Like, wow, you talk about you've been warned. They've been warned, and they know that what Samuel says comes true, and they want it anyways. So they get what they want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a sort of an interesting story about you know how this all comes about. Samuel looking for some donkeys that has that oh. went running, and then there's some very specific prophecies about people he's uh, going to meet. But ultimately, though, the, the you get to chapter ten, and Saul like officially anoints anoints. Samuel uh, and Saul. Thank you. <laughs> I, I was saying it wrong. My brain was saying, no, that's wrong. But then it wouldn't tell me the right thing to say. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, no, you're wrong. But I'm not going to tell you what's right. If you don't know, I'm not going to tell you. Thanks, brain. <laughs> Samuel anoints Saul. And he says, it's because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance. I, I kind of thought it was interesting that in, in any of this uh, Saul never actually says the word king, but um, it's very clear that that Saul is is getting anointed here as the ruler over Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and that's where that's where all the the, the all the people he's going to meet. You know, he's going to find two men by Rachel's tomb. They're going to be carrying. Um, they're going to tell you the donkeys have been found. They're going to tell you your father's worrying about you. You're going to meet three men by a tree. They're going to be carrying three goats. One of them is going to have a skin of wine. One of them is going to be carrying three loaves of bread, and they're going to give you two of them. So it's all these things and that are supposed to happen, and very specifically, it does happen. So again, like you said, when, when, when uh, Samuel says something is going to happen, it happens. I think that's said for Saul's benefit so that he can, yep. because Saul's plucked out of the, I mean, he's, he's come on, let's look at it. He's looking for donkeys. He's, yeah. he's, he's a gopher at this point and he's wandering around doing this stuff. And then to be told you're going to be king, it'd be pretty easy to be like, no, you guys are pranking me here. Mm-hmm. But, but Samuel gives him something. And I find this is, man, even, even in the face of that God knows that his people are rejecting him. He is still kind and condescending to say, all right, I'm still going to work with you where you are. And here's Saul who would be like, I don't, what? 
God says, all right, look, I'm going to make you just so sure that this is me talking to you. I love Paul. it. Good, Karen? Oh, no, that was, I just, I loved, I love that God did that. I love that. Mm-hmm. It would make our lives a little easier if we get that more often, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I think it's mentioned because it's a little unusual. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It yeah. doesn't happen all the time, but it did in this case. And I find it also very interesting that the power of the Holy Spirit can, in fact, change people who are willing. And I think this works both ways because we see that Saul is open to this. He becomes changed, and it's really awesome. In 10.6, and the Spirit of the Lord will rush on you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And that happens. Mm -hmm. And it's really awesome. It's also true that Saul had the opportunity and power and freedom. I know, Matt, you talk about this a lot. Freedom of choice, free will, Mm -hmm. is that Saul later exercises his free will and rejects God. Yeah, I found it interesting, too, that through this whole process, it doesn't seem like Saul was terribly interested in the position. He... I mean, he he has all these things that happen. I mean, he goes and he sees all the all the people that that he was told he was going to meet. He meets up with this group of prophets and he starts prophesying, uh, whatever that specifically means. Whether it means he's telling the future, whether it means he's teaching, because I've heard all kinds of different uh, interpretations of what it means to be to to be a prophet. But he's having things happen, like the prophesying, that is not normal for him, not not regular. But when he finally gets back to his dad, he tells his dad all about, oh, yeah, well, we, we, you know, we couldn't find the donkeys. We went and talked to Samuel, and Samuel said, no, it's fine. You're going to find the donkeys. But he never once tells his dad this whole thing about him being chosen to be the king over Israel. I just I found that interesting, and to the point even where when, when he's being like officially – uh, inaugurated, if you want to call it that, he's actually hiding <laughs> from everybody. You know, and nobody could find him when when it's time to, I don't know whether it's literal or figurative, but when it's time to put the crown on, and they're like, "Well, where is the guy?" <laughs> and they and he's hiding. They have to go find him and and bring him out. And and all of those things say the right things about his character. I've often thought that the very best politicians in the world are probably the ones that will never want to run for office. Yeah. Well, yeah, but uh, you know, the spoiler alert here is that Sam or Saul was not a great was was just wasn't great. He, I, you know, I felt I fully believe that if he had chosen, if he had chosen to follow God, he probably could have been a great leader. He had people who wanted to follow him. But ultimately, he ends up making bad choices to where he ends up having to be replaced. So I don't it's not like God deliberately put somebody in position who was who was incapable of of performing the role. I think I don't think he would have done that. I think I think there must have been enough within Saul to be a good king that God said, "Okay, we're going to I'm going to put him in there. Yet at the same. Hmm. I think that was the point. If he listened and submitted to God, greatness was was there. Mm-hmm. The nation was there. But I think initially when he 
when it was thrust upon him, he didn't know what to do but but lean on God. So that's what he did mm-hmm. until he he became acclimatized to the role, and then he started making his own decisions. Yes, mm-hmm. and he got yeah. full of himself, and it turned yeah. to self again. What we have talked about here in the last few weeks is when that self aspect hits, only bad things can happen. When you take your eyes off God, only bad things can happen. I, mm-hmm. That is, that is. So, 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 so true. And I think couple that with um, the power and honor that he was given. I have, I photographed and met a lot of famous people in, in my work as a photographer. And pretty much without exception, as a general rule, people who let their position, power, fame, money, etc., go to their head. They are either total jerks when you meet them in person, or it goes badly for them, or both. But people, and I've met people who do have power and position and names you'd recognize, who do have humility, and they they uh, they are they have not gone off the rails, you know. And so I think that there is something also to, to be said about the fame and the uh, the accolades that that we want as humans. We want everybody to be like, look at me. We mentioned social media. Come on. I mean, that's I'm just as guilty of that as anybody. Is it? I want people to be like, hey, look at me. Here's and how often am I giving that glory to God? And how often am I saying, hey, look at me? I don't want people to look at me. And how dangerous a combination self plus other people looking at self can be. Um, you just, I mean, it's a sad thing. It, it doesn't cure stuff. You look through social media, you look at these, you know, famous YouTubers and bloggers and TikTokers and stuff like this. It is alarming how many of these people, it ends badly you know, financially or through uh, suicide or through very poor life decisions is that fame uh, thrust upon somebody in and of itself, by itself, outside of God's guidance and tempering tends to just, it tends to go badly. Well, Saul gets named as king. He isn't crazy about the idea. God points him out. People accept him, but not everybody accepts him. The chapter ends saying that some rebels, how did it put it exactly, says um, some rebels say, how can this man save us? Or how can this man save us? I guess it depends on how you emphasize Yeah, I think it's this. (laughs) This man, how can this man save us? And maybe, I think maybe you were saying, Eric, that maybe they're, you know, they're seeing this guy as a Benjamite. They're seeing, maybe they're just seeing him as a man. They don't. They don't see the value in Saul that everybody else has just quickly jumped on and says they don't bring him any presents. I'm taking it to be kind of like a tribute type of idea. But Saul says he held he held his peace. So at least at this point of the game, Saul has not let this go to his head. I think he's probably still very much questioning his ability to to lead the country as a king. And I, I think that's probably to his credit. Because he could have jumped very quickly and said, hey, I was chosen by God. And you guys are going to come bow before me and bring me, you know, bring me tribute. But he doesn't do that to these to these guys. 
he starts off really well, you know, and I think in the bigger picture of the of the Old Testament, it's easy to think of Saul as the bad guy as we get into the story of David, which he is at that point. But he doesn't start that way at all. He really doesn't. Yeah. He's the underdog. He's the one that we would make the movie about. Oh, he came from the smallest family and the smallest tribe that had a bad reputation. And 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 yet he was chosen and he became king, you know, and, and that's what we would we would want. And he does. He starts out good. It starts out as a great feel-good story, but then takes a bad turn. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. And that will be the focus of our reading for next week as we get into chapter 11 through 15. And we're basically going to go through the whole career of Saul as king uh, in, in those cha- those few chapters. And, um, We'll, we'll we'll see we'll just we'll see how he goes that and that will be next week. Don't want to cut anything off. Anybody final final thoughts here? I have no thoughts. <laughs> no, I think there's just a lot in here that was we look at we look at Israel's choices and they are allowed to have what they choose and Samuel puts it right out there. I mean just right out there he says in ten nineteen. but today you have rejected your god who mm-hmm. saved you from calamities and distress you have said set a king over us well okay so come on forward and do the thing you said you wanted to do and they all do it yeah and we think that oh oh my people we would never do something that bold you know, against God. And I, I would just say, you know, we need to each search our own hearts and say, are there things that we have wanted? New Year's is the time when we're all like, this is what I want and this is what I want to do. And and I would encourage all of us to temper that with God. What do you want? Mm-hmm. What do you want me to do? What do you want? What would you want me to be? What, how would you want me to roll? And let that be our guide rather than what the world thinks is success and um, or, or our own feelings because we can we can pick wrong now, I guess that's what I'd say in the end here is that we we have poor choosing um, skills and we've got an adversary who very much wants us to choose the wrong thing and only only through God's insight and wisdom can we choose right and then every day as Tracy was saying, let God lead the choices that we make every day. It's not a, we choose it once and then we're like set daily choice. One of my favorite Bible texts is in next week's reading. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Well, you have to remember to point that out to us. It's underlined. I will. Okay. And while we're waiting for Karen to be able to point that out to us, you can read ahead (laughs) chapters 11 through 15. And, uh, and, uh, I just lost my train of thought again. <laughs> Be sure you read chapter 11 through 15 for to prepare for next week's uh, episode. And uh, while you're waiting for that, you can remember you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org with any questions or comments. If you think you're doing great, if you think you're doing terrible, if you have input, if you have anything, it would be great to hear from you and, and uh, let us know. You can find us on Facebook. Be sure you share the podcast with your friends and family. Make sure you subscribe so that you reach us in your feet each and every week. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.